Hey everyone, this is Angie Wachowski and you are listening to Bet On You Radio. This is the place where I feature what I like to consider ordinary, extraordinary individuals who are betting on themselves, who are taking risks, who are demonstrating courage. And today's guest is just amazing. Perhaps one of the most courageous people I've met simply because she's able to do something a lot of us have difficulty doing, and that's telling our stories and our whole stories, the truth about us. Now, in Bet On You, we write about facing your fears and taking pieces of your life and putting them together in a way that makes it more meaningful as you present it forward. We also talk about the Japanese art form of kintsugi, where a broken piece of pottery is put together with gold filament. The idea being that these broken pieces that we all have can turn into something even more beautiful than the original. And that is what we're gonna talk with Crystal Frost Anderson today. And before I jump into the heart of what we're gonna talk about, I would love to hear just about your childhood, where you were raised. Oh, um, well, I was raised right here in Northern Michigan. So um, between Interlochen and, uh, and Beulah. So my grandparents lived in Beulah. I started the first part of my life in um, Benzie County, moved to Interlochen with my mom, moved back to Beulah. So I'm a Northern Michigander, born and raised. And what does your mom do? Uh, so my mom has had a series of jobs throughout her life. She um, she's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Really? And right now she's uh, she's taking care of my my stepdad who is disabled. So she works. Uh, kind of in home health care, taking care of him. Uh, but she's worked in grocery stores and in bakeries and cleaning houses and cleaning cabins and all sorts of things. Growing up and seeing how hard she was working, just I would imagine just to make things meet, did you get a work ethic from that? Like what do you get from watching somebody hustle so hard? Um, I think you get two things. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I think I have a pretty incredible work ethic, and I think I got that from my mom. Um, but I also think... Growing up, we didn't have a lot. Uh, we were very poor. My mom was a teenager when she had me. And oh, really? So, yeah, she was 16. Oh, so my gosh. There was just a lot of, you know, she was trying to parent and, you know, trying to grow up all at the same time. Um, but I think one of the things I learned from her, not only her work ethic, but also understanding that put in the work to, to, um, when you're younger so that you don't have to work all, all the time when you're older, maybe <laughs> get the hard parts over with. <laughs> I feel like that. And I mean, I've been working since I was 12 years old. The very first job was, um, weeding gardens and, um, and mowing lawns at a, at a, uh, a local resort in Interlochen. And then I had what I considered my first radio job when I was 14, which was at Burger King in Chump's Corners, and I worked the drive-thru. Oh, that was a radio job. <laughs> yeah, and I so know. for our listeners, you are really you're pretty famous up here in northern <laughs> Michigan. You are a radio mm-hmm. DJ host, and now you currently work as a senior director for the Child Advocacy Center, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to go back to your young days working the late night shift at Burger mm-hmm. King FM radio. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I used to, it was not only talking to the people in the drive through but it was also like Burger King still has this microphone where you have to call back the order. And I would mm-hmm. be like, Whopper with cheese, small fry. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you did become a radio DJ. Was that your mm-hmm. first real, real job, real big girl job? 
Um, no, actually, yeah. I spent some time being a photographer at Sears Portrait Studio. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So that was a big girl job. Um, so and you then... had adults mainly, kids mainly, <laughs> mostly Santa kids. shots? Okay. Uh, mostly kids. And, you know, that was the place to take your... It's so funny in my lifetime that that's where you would go take your kids to get their pictures every month or every couple of months or every year. And then, you know, now everybody just has a camera on their phone. And when I was doing this job, Angie, I would like, I'd have to do all sorts of crazy things like get kids to laugh and, you know, say things like, can you blow this frog off my head and wait for them to laugh and click the picture and just, I mean, literally dancing for <laughs> and making for a, a smile but there's life there there's a life lesson there that I'm sure you pulled yeah. from so you had Sears so I did that Sears. is a big job it was a huge job especially in December with crying babies everywhere that was a really big job um and then I I worked for a local nonprofit. I I realized that I wanted to work with kids um or in some way helping kids uh so I started with AmeriCorps National Service. So it's kind oh, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did a little stint with AmeriCorps and I was, um, my service job was to work for the Boys and Girls Clubs here locally. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I never thought I would leave, but unfortunately we lost funding and closed up shop, which led me to a radio station. And I was hired to sell ads and oh, that's how you got that's how I door. got into it. I just I got a job selling ads and I was terrible at it. And um, from there, I went to like promotions because I was kind of creative. So they gave me a job doing that. And then I just sat in with a local morning show one morning and that was it. I was on what the show about it. Yeah, suddenly, <laughs> exactly. If they don't say anything, I'm just going to show up the I know. next day, right? So much of that, like say yes all the time. And, you know, no matter if they give you a shot, just keep showing up. <laughs> well, how old were you when you were a DJ? Like when oh, you first gosh. got behind the microphone yeah. and started talking. So 27. So oh. I was, and I was, that's kind of late, especially for, I was told this <laughs> throughout my career. Um, because I was on like a, a pretty rock and roll shock jock morning show. And I was the supposed to be the girl, the voice of reason, right? Um, which I did not do very well. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I was on this show. And then I just wanted to do more of it. And I remember having conversations with other women who were in the industry who were like, mm, you're too old. You know, you're not going to be able to do it. You have to start really young when you're a female, especially men can kind of slide into this. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to show you. <laughs> is that tr- yeah, I was like, is that true? Maybe that know. was true for you or them. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I love to take those types of comments and turn them into dares. Oh, I'm I know. Sure you do too. Oh, I did so much of that. There was someone who was, I was pretty close to in my life at the time when I said that I was going to be on the radio. I'm like, I got this job. I'm working on the radio. And he said, no offense, but who cares what you have to say? And I was like, oh, well, we'll see. <laughs> and lo and behold, a lot of people actually had and a maybe. lot to care about what you say. And you had your own program for quite some time. I did. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I think they did. And some people still didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> we were talking before we started just talking about the wonderful thing about audio. I'd love to hear mm, you talk I about audio. Yeah. Why is that? So I don't think we have another medium where you can feel so incredibly vulnerable listening to a conversation that feels like it's just between you and the person who's presenting it. Um, 
And, you know, you could be listening with thousands of people, but it's still so intimate. It's just you. It's, it's totally engaging. I just, I love that about audio. And in, in radio, I'm sure you know, we have these things called driveway moments. And I know in podcasting, we have those too, where you might be like late to go meet a friend or, you know, um, to go into work even, and yet you can't get out of your car because you just want to hear the end of it. And that is so magical. That is magical. I think this stage of your career, you've been more vocal and intentional about telling parts of your story of your childhood, mm -hmm. that despite having a hardworking mom and you, know, you working yourself, and I'm sure there's lots of love, there are some parts that you're now coming more forth and talking about the hard parts. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a hard childhood. Um, I, you know, I, I said a little bit about, you know, just growing up in poverty, that in itself is really hard. Um, my mom was a single mom. Um, her and my dad divorced when I was about eight years old, and he was incredibly abusive. So he was abusive to her. Um, he was physically, emotionally, uh, mentally abusive. And he was sexually abusive. And that sexual abuse continued um, through my childhood. So, you know, and we would spend weekends with dad, those weekends would be, you know, a kind of a mix of fun things that you and your dad do, right? Like watch cartoons and, you know, go to the comic book store and go to theme parks. But then it was also being sexually abused. And that was just kind of normal. It was, it was a normal part in my childhood, but it's definitely not, a, it should not be a normal part of childhood. At what age did you come to that realization? Mm -hmm. Because that is an awakening. Again, it was very normalized for you being raised, but then suddenly you're like, whoa, this is wrong. I'm sure it wasn't a light bulb moment. It was perhaps a gradual awakening. So actually, I think I always knew, um, you know, like most kids that are being chronically sexually abused, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of secrecy, there's threats, things to keep your, you quiet. Um, so I knew that it was not something I was supposed to talk about. Um, I knew it was something that was just supposed, you know, just happened. And yet as I got older, um, really about 12 or 13 years old, I started to realize that I did have a little bit of power and I would confront him, um, on some things. And, um, and I started to see that there was fear behind his eyes. Um, you know, and I would say things like, well, you know, you have done these things and he would say, oh my gosh, no, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. That you know, didn't, didn't happen. And it, I think it was the first time, you know, especially being so young that I was able to say, wow, A, um, he's afraid. And the second thing I think was that I'm telling the truth. Because I think a part of what had happened throughout the years, too, was that because, you know, I think the brain, my brain anyway, um, sort of compartmentalized things, right? So when I would have memories, they would be like, well, did that really happen? Did I dream that? There was a lot of gaslighting that was going on. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, am I crazy? Is this real? And so these, I call them kind of micro confrontations that I would have and I would see that it was true. You could just tell. And I started to say, wow, um, I do have a little bit of power. 
but I was still a child. And, you know, I think a lot of what I did, um, from that moment on really was in, really just to escape the abuse was I became incredibly involved in everything that I could. Um, I was in every club at school. I did pretty well at school. I tried to, I did every sport that I could just so that I had an excuse not to be there. Um, and I just kind of continued to do that. Um, I refer to that now as like intentional busyness, you know, when you want to avoid something, you make yourself as busy as possible, right? So I was just constantly chronically full as, as far as the schedule is concerned. Um, and so, I mean, we just kind of continued until my later teen years. And um, then I disclosed what had happened to a therapist. And nobody, still, nobody um, reported it. It was still. And that just blows my, well, good for you or good for whoever to encourage you to mm-hmm. get therapy and then going through the process and not disclosing it, like holding on to yeah. that and still keeping it a secret must have been confusing. I guess that's the best word, like, yeah. because you're trying to disclose and it trying to make it not a secret and then being held like that. You know, it's so funny you should say that. I was just talking to my husband about this, that um, over my lifetime, I tried to tell so many people about what was going on. Um, and there were so many clues and there were so many signs and, and it was really, it was, it was actually the people who weren't listening. Um, and I, and that, that is not to say that, you know, I'm, I'm blaming anybody for, <laughs> for this, but in the work that I do now, it really does influence me to realize that people 100% just don't want it to be true. Why would you want it to be true that a child is being abused. I mean, nobody wants that. I am amazed and so impressed by what you're doing now, though, because you did make an intentional choice to work in child advocacy, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I grew up in a really small rural community that, no doubt in my mind, children were going through their own stories of sexual abuse coming to school, and we all see it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the students because you're naive to it, but you know, lunch ladies, lunch servers, you're you're a part of it, and mm-hmm. just to yeah, just observe it and not have the voice. And so I think you giving people the tools mm-hmm. is incredibly empowering. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it's interesting because I think um, I think this is one of those crimes that really goes unnoticed because of how difficult it is to talk about. Um, it's a, it's a social flinch and I'm not the one that coined that term. There's an incredible, um, researcher out of Ireland who calls it the social flinch. And, and yet that's exactly what it is because when you think about flinching, you flinch when you know that something is going to impact you, right? You flinch when you think you're going to get hit by a ball at a baseball stadium. You, oh, you, you don't want that to happen. It's a protective measure. And so a social flinch surrounding child sexual abuse is that it's so horrific and it's so devastating and it's so hard to really accept that it's happening that you flinch, that you shut down, that you avoid it at all costs to protect yourself. It's funny you say that because when you first met my husband, which wasn't too long ago, and you, you know, are pretty forthcoming with mm-hmm. the fact that this is part of your story, that you're a survivor of 
child sexual abuse, we had a conversation. It was a wonderful conversation of all of us, you and your husband and mine. And we walked away and my husband's like, I can't believe she's talking about this so openly. And I said, isn't that just the most incredible thing? He goes, yeah, but I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. taking that part of my life and serving it up Mm -hmm. for others and being able to embrace that. Yeah. When we come back, I want to hear more about your story. Then I've got my five questions I ask every guest. So Crystal Frost Anderson, we will be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Angie Wachowski. I'm one of the co-authors of Bet on You. This is the companion to the radio program. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, check out this book. Inside, there's some really great guidance and a code that takes you to an online platform that helps you dream better and imagine ways that you can bet on yourself. Check it out. So we are here today with Crystal Frost Anderson, um, who is a senior director at Traverse City's Child Advocacy Center. So we were talking about your story as, and it's interesting, I wanna say survivor of child sexual abuse, but then there's also that victim word too Mm -hmm. that we can talk about. How would you? Well, I think victim and survivor is interchangeable. It's obvious that I was a victim of a crime. Um, I think the survivor part happens by choice. Um, And and I chose to um, embrace that moniker of survivor based on giving the shame back, I think, is, is really where it first started. And, and I'm a firm believer that any other survivor of any other ailment, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, cancer, cancer happens to you, child sexual abuse happens to you. And when you survive it, when you, when you are able to survive and move on and and continue life, then um, you should be proud of that. And, and I'm incredibly proud of, of how I've been able to do that. But I'm, I'm also really on a mission for all of the other survivors out there, which I know there are many, many, many of us, to give that shame back to where it belongs. And it belongs with your perpetrator. I'm not the one that should feel ashamed of what happened to me, just like no one should feel ashamed if they get cancer or if you know they get into a car accident or something happens to them. That's the same thing with child sexual abuse. And if you are a survivor, I think part of being able to embrace that that brand is to say, uh, I'm no longer going to let this person make me feel ashamed. Because really, our voice as survivors, that is exactly um, our biggest power. They've taken it away from us. They've purposely done that. And as soon as we start to talk and be open and share what has happened to us, the stronger we are as a group, and people feel a little bit better about talking about what has happened to them, and we give the shame back where it belongs. I think that's the power in what you're talking about, too, by being very transparent and vulnerable about your experience. You share your courage with other people Mm -hmm. to talk about the parts of their life that they're not necessarily open with Mm -hmm. or, you know, even eager to really explore or look at. But I imagine if you do, there's a lot of learning there that can help you advance and not be that bookmark, you know, in your story of life that you can flip the page and progress with it too. Can you talk a little bit about the work you're doing right now? Right. Well, I made the decision, um, you know, I, I loved what I was doing in radio and media. 
Um, but I made the decision to become more involved with, um, with primary prevention with child sexual abuse and, um, a longtime friend and, uh, really a mentor kind of changed the conversation about child sexual abuse prevention. Uh, Sue Boldy, who's just a, an incredible human being. She had been with the Travers Bay CAC for a number of years and she started to look at root causes. You know, when we think about child sexual abuse and you think about, um, children who are being abused, it's like, that's the tertiary. That's, that's the, we have to stop it from happening, continuing to happen from, we have to help the kids right now. It's like pulling the children out of a burning building. Right. Um, but when you think about even the prevention that we do, if we're teaching people about the signs, you know, you mentioned the lunch lady or the, the, the attendants, um, what are the signs that a child might be being sexually abused? And yet that means it's already happened. So we're preventing it from happening again or from getting worse. But primary prevention is to really look at this from a systemic whole 30,000 foot view and say, why is this happening so often? I mean, it's one in four girls and one in 10 boys will be sexually abused. That just blows my mind. It's somebody you know, basically. It is. And somebody you know and some of your mm -hmm. children's friends, this is going on with them. And everyone knows a survivor. And and so it, it's so prevalent. And so, you know, what we tried to do with primary prevention is to say, why is it happening? How can we, how can we influence society, really, to become more protective of children? Um, and that's where primary prevention comes in. It's trying to change the social norms around it. And nobody, nobody says, you know what, I'm okay with child sexual abuse. Nobody is. But Sometimes, based on things that you're avoiding, by not talking about things, um, by not wanting to be, something might feel uncomfortable if you might have a suspicion about something and you go, oh, it's none of my business. And there's a lot of social norms around that, which allows for sexual abuse to continue. I always think trust your gut because your head is going to talk you out of it. Absolutely. But trust your gut. We're going to transition into my five favorite questions and... You have acquired so much wisdom in life, so I'm really excited for you to continue sharing this with our audience. You know, I'd love to hear from you. What what book have you read recently that inspires you, that motivates you, that mm. keeps you going? Like, what inspires you from a literature point of view? Gosh. Well, and this is not a recent book um, that I read, but it's interesting um, because, you know, what, my favorite author is David Sedaris. Oh. It just, and, and if you talk about somebody who can take a very heavy topic or subject and s find humor in it. <laughs> yeah, he would be he the would guy. He would be the guy, exactly. And, and so, I, I mean, I often go back to Me Talk Pretty One Day. It was actually a book that I was reading during a really dark time in my life. And it was poignant and hilarious and a little um, inappropriate, which I was like, yeah, that's uh, okay. That's how, that's what life is. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you too. And I think again, if you want to figure out how to make fun of your past, even the dark parts and the painful parts, read David Sedaris. That's um, <laughs> amazing. A piece of feedback that you receive mm -hmm. that helped chart your course or change a direction. Oh, gosh piece of feedback that I received. Well, you know, I was told um, in media 
and I, and I, I believe this, and actually it was my former boss, um, Jack O'Malley, who was mm-hmm. a former state representative as well. He told me that in, uh, in talk radio, every day is an opportunity for an education. And I, I fully embraced that. And every day I was able to learn from, you know, new people and um, learn new things. And I think that regardless of whether your job is talk radio or anything else, every day is a new opportunity for a new education. I love that. It's true. It's your choice. It comes down to your choice. You either make it or be a passive participant. I'm going to combine these two questions. I'd love to hear from you what is a favorite restaurant that you like to go Mm -hmm. to in this area and a favorite place you like to visit. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, top of mind. First thing that comes to mind. Um, On a call. Oh, we love that yes. Yeah, on the call is it's a steadfast, fantastic restaurant who's been just a, a staple of downtown Traverse City, and I love on the call. Dave Dennison is an amazing person, um, and then I would say, as far as a place that I like to visit, uh, my husband and I have a, a real love of everything Leelanau County, mm. but mostly I think we just love driving M twenty two all the way out to Northport. It's the experience is is the best. Oh, it is great. Final question. Piece of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience, something you've picked up on along the way that you think would be very important for our listeners to know. So it used to be um, say yes. That used to be my my go-to bit of wisdom was anytime you get an opportunity to do something, take it, say yes, because you never know where it's going to take you. I mean, I was somebody who was taking pictures at Sears Portrait Studio and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden on the radio by saying yes. But just as important, something I've learned now is it's okay to say no. And in in doing so, you're creating the life that, um, that you really want and you're building boundaries and you're not overextending yourself. So my piece of, inform- of of advice now probably would be no is a complete sentence. Oh, <laughs> no is. And sometimes what you say no to gives you more time to say yes to the yes. things that really, really matter to you. Crystal Frost Anderson, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, for having the courage to share your story, which I'm, sh- which I'm certain is going to enlighten and hopefully inspire you all to go into yourself, into your mind, to look at your life story and just discover things about yourself, areas where you could be a little bit more brave. Thank Mm. you so much. Thank you.